Welcome to episode 114 of Auto Off Topic. Hey, Brad. We've got guests tonight. We do. Two guests. Not yep. in-studio guests. Both uh, on a feed. Yep. We've got uh, Mercedes, Lili- sorry, Mercedes Lilienthal and Elise Bent. Uh, this is Mercedes' second appearance on the show. Welcome back and welcome to Elise. These two women recently competed in the two, uh, 2018 Rebel Rally. A 2,000 kilometer, so it's a traditional navigational challenge rally across the uh, Nevada and the California desert. Yeah, and we're both uh, pretty interested in what happened on this rally and what this rally really is, um, because the pictures were pretty epic. The stories I've heard so far have been pretty epic, um, and it's just a pretty neat thing. Obviously, we couldn't compete in this, so it's a female-only rally, which is also interesting. Yeah, so we're gonna we'll just get right into it. So we'll. Um, why don't one of you take the lead on this, and we'll ask you, what is the Rebel Rally? Well, I think we should introduce our guests first. Okay. So, Mercedes and Elise, if you both want to say, you know, hello, Mercedes and Elise, so people know who's talking when you talk. <laughs> that would be excellent. Sure. <laughs> yeah, re- yeah, that's, um, that'd be great. Thanks for having us um, both. It's great to be back again, um, this time being remote versus uh, in your basement, as I had done the first time. This is Mercedes, and I am living in Portland, Oregon, and I was the rally truck driver for excellent. the event. And my name is Elise. I currently live in Bozeman, Montana, and I was the navigator for this competition. Excellent. Well, again, thank you for coming on, and uh, now we'll get right into this. I was just super excited to get right into it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There's lots of excitement to go around. Yeah. Yeah. So we figure you guys can both, uh, you know, bounce off each other and figure out what's going on here question-wise. We're going to ask the question kind of as a generic to both of you, Um, and, you know, we hope that you guys are, you know, familiar enough with each other to figure out how that works yeah. <laughs> so uh what is the rebel rally for our listeners that aren't familiar with it so the rebel rally is a um you kind of said it before it's a traditional navigational challenge it's an eight day two thousand kilometer um desert off-road um competition um that takes you across nevada and california um, you are basically collecting checkpoints that are where basically you're given the latitude and the longitude for a point, and you have to go and find it on these dirt roads um, using only a map and compass, no GPS, no technology. You actually have to hand in your phones um, and get them all taped up into a, a box, a tamper-proof box. Um, and it's it's really I mean, the terrain is just, it's gorgeous out there. Um, We're doing long, you know, 10-hour, 12-hour days. Um, That doesn't include the time that we have to plot the points in the morning uh, before we actually take off. Um, And we are basically a team of two in our our 2012 uh, Tacoma that we used for the rally. And... um, Mercedes was the driver. I was the navigator. Um, and over the eight days, we, we went out, and I think we did over 134 checkpoints, I think was what the number that I'd come up with um, over those eight days. Yeah, and, and uh, Elise alluded to, alluded to it um, being mainly off-road, and so the terrain was uh, varied um, quite vastly. So we had anything from gravel to dirt to steep inclines, declines, rock, a little bit of light bouldering, um, a bunch of sand, some sand dunes um, for a couple of days, uh, a little bit of snow. Thankfully, the snow wasn't really on, on our tracks, um, you know, but we had a lot of water crossings that were all over on our tracks. Um, eroded roads, um, you know, trails, mud. all sorts of stuff. Yeah, mud, yeah, we had a little bit of mud because, you know, at the end of the rally, you couldn't really tell what color the truck was anymore. But, you know, you got to just drive through it and, you know, drive strong. So, um, but yeah, so it was, it was great. Awesome. How many people competed in this event total? How many trucks were there? Uh, I think there were 46 teams or That's a pretty 45 good size. teams, I believe. Yeah, so they're all teams of two, and they there were a lot of Jeeps. I think, you know, obviously Jeep Wranglers, you know, like takes the cake when it comes to a lot of competitions as far as just, you know, appearing in mass numbers. But there were um, different vehicles. There was there was a crossover section that had um, a cross-track of Forrester, uh, a Cayenne, and I think it had an Outback as well. Um, there were a couple of trucks, um, you know, some Land Rovers, things like that. So there was a mix of different vehicles. That's cool. Was it different terrain for a crossover vehicle or was it the same for the crossover and for the pickup trucks and Jeeps? 
It was different um, because the 4x4s had more capability. They did have a different um, track. Um, we would see them here and there, but then again, with the cross or with the four by fours, we had a couple of different groups within us. So just because you were following somebody or you saw somebody, you had no idea if the the they had the same checkpoints as what we did. Yeah. So it was it was constantly varying, and so you just should not follow. And that was one of the things they kept on yeah. saying was don't follow somebody else because they might be completely not knowing where they're going or in a different group and you could get severely lost. Yeah. And so. that's something we've certainly learned doing, you know, TSDs is you think you're doing the right, right thing by following somebody. And next thing you know, you're seven directions off and it, they had no idea where they were going and we assume they did. So we definitely exactly. understand that for yep. sure. Same type of thing. Excellent. And we had yeah. a, a lot of TSDs too. So they call them Enduros or RECs. Um, but we had those almost every single day in addition to finding all these beautiful checkpoints. Okay, so it was a TSD inside of the rally itself, so like an event within event? Yeah. Yes. Yep, so basically it was a way to transition between um, different uh, checkpoint areas. And so basically, you know, in between these different checkpoint areas, if we had to drive, you know, for, for a couple minutes or, or an hour or so, um, it would be another way that we could accumulate points. Okay, so that's pretty neat. So you didn't, so you had the point to point wasn't mileage based, it was just get there when you get there pretty much correct and then the tsd yeah, so part is mileage based correct yeah that's interesting um okay. yeah and, and the, the tsds were were different they had on route only tsds and then on route and on time tsds so not only were you juggling you know conversions from kilometers per hour to miles per hour if your auto is off and you're using your tear trip which is a very exacting odometer, so to speak, um, you had to realize, okay, is it en route? Is it, you know, timed plus en route? So there was a lot of different factors in addition to just doing the, the enduro to get you from, you know, point A to point B. That's interesting. It's a lot deeper than I thought it was looking into oh, the, yeah. what, what I had <laughs> what I had read and what I had seen. It didn't mm -hmm. seem quite mm -hmm. as deep as that, but it's pretty deep. And I don't think we covered it. Uh, this is all for women only. Yes. The entire yeah. field was all women. Exactly. Yeah. So it was all women. Um, there were some men as far as support staff and mechanics and uh, medical staff and things like that and people that that, um, you know, helped with the course and whatnot. But yeah, as far as the competitors, every single one of them was a woman. So who puts the event on? Is it a sponsorship event or is it a charity event? What What is the what, what is the, I guess, point? Not, not, the, not the point behind it, but what is the driving force behind the event? So the founder is, um, her name is Emily Miller, and she's been a long time um, racer and rallier and off-roader and huge in, in uh, the motorsports industry. And so she really wanted to create, and she did the Gazelles over in Morocco, um, that rally that was over there, mm -hmm. um, among a lot of other rebels, um, which is another rally for, for women. Um, I've not done, nor has Elise done it yet. Um, but she wanted to create a rally here in the United States that was very uh, challenging, but dedicated to just women and being able to showcase their abilities. Um, so that was kind of, you know, this is now the third year that the Rebel Rally has been in, in summation and been going on. Um, he does have major sponsors. Um, they're all noted on their website. I know Hoenn uh, dealership, they're one of the, the, um, the premier sponsor. Um, gosh, they have so many others that are too many that I can even think of off the top of my head. But yes, yeah, so it is sponsored, um, but the, you do also pay your registration fees as a team um, and be able to go in uh, in order for you to qualify to compete. Awesome. So uh, I guess we'll backtrack a little bit. What are your backgrounds and what interested you both in competing? We'll start with like, start with Mercedes. Yeah. Okay. So my, my background is kind of a, a very interesting, different background. Um, I professionally am a commercial interior designer and project manager turned full-time automotive and off-road freelancer. So a lot of different things that I do. Um, I made the switch back in, uh, let's see, in mid-April, May-ish, um, and decided to do this full-time because I, I started, you know, going to a lot of the different events, the off-road and overlanding events, um, started getting vehicles and, and building up vehicles with my husband, Andy Lilienthal, who works at Warren Industries, um, started doing a lot of different events, building our own personal vehicles, getting another 4x4, and just really enveloping myself with the culture, um, getting out there in the middle of nowhere, loving it, being self-sustaining, and that just really drew me in. And the people are so awesome in this whole industry and that travel a lot. And so 
that's I decided to kind of forego my desk job and, and say, you know what, I could always go back if I needed to, but do this full time. And so now I'm full time uh, freelance as far as automotive, um, off road adventure industry, social media, yada, yada, all that good stuff. I messaged Elise, actually, I sent her a text message in, in uh, April and I said, hey, guess what? I'm really going to do this because she and I were talking about this beforehand. And then she had replied back to me and said, you know what? You have no excuse now to not do the Rebel Rally with me. Do you have any <laughs> any motorsports background at all? Or is this the first real kind of motorsports is event it- you've participated in? That's a great question. Um, not only was I brand new to off-road uh, competition, I literally started um, basically driving myself off-road um, in you know our vehicles or in different vehicles or the, the Tacoma that we ended up rallying um, right when I pretty much texted her and we said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do this competition. So what had happened was, is I was always the passenger or navigator when Andy, my husband, would be driving. So, of course, he works for Warren Industries, which is a big truck winch company and, you know, OEM uh, manufacturer and accessories for off-road and and recovery gear. So he'd always be doing the driving and I'd be navigating or I'd be going out and spotting, you know, for different events, whether they're Warren-related or non-Warren-related. But, yeah, as far as myself in the driver's seat, I know a lot of the principles. I know how to use a lot of the gear. But driving myself, that's a different story. So, yeah, I literally have been doing this just solely for uh, doing this competition. So about maybe six months or so. Oh, so it's pretty, pretty fresh. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, pretty fresh, pretty green. And, uh, and Elise, what's, uh, what's your background as far as off-roading so, and everything? Or everything. <laughs> yeah. So I got involved in the off-roading industry through um, my – well, we, we love to do camping. Um, I grew up doing a lot of outdoor sports um, and camping as well. And so when I met my husband, um, we started doing a lot of road trips and a lot of um, kind of more um, bigger adventures to find those elusive, you know, solitary, epic camp spots. Um, that kind of led us into the overlanding industry where uh, we started a business called Bomber Products. Um, and so we started going to shows. We started doing a lot more events related to overlanding and some off-roading. Um, and so that's kind of where I heard about the Rebel Rally. At the same time, I'm also doing my master's in GIS. That's Geographic Information Systems. Um, so getting a lot more familiar with uh, cartography. I work with maps you know, every day. Um, and so this was something that was really appealing to me was getting to kind of apply that in a more recreational uh, adventure setting. And um, so it also kind of motivated me to um, take the leap in and start actually doing a lot more driving um, and learning a lot more of the skills, whereas I'd only done, you know, enough to kind of know how to get out of the situation. Now I, I feel a lot like I spent a lot more time practicing and, and doing a lot more driving and feel pretty confident behind the wheel. Um, so so I would say it was probably about a year and a half ago that I heard about the Rebel Rally and was planning on trying to do it last year, but it was a little bit short notice. So um, I had my sights set on doing it this year for quite a while now. Um, so it was really cool to be able to, to take the leap and do it. And like Mercedes, do you not also have any motorsports experience at all? Is this kind of all fresh to you as well? Had you it was the first, in very first thing for me. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> absolutely no, no vehicle competitions at all. No, um, that, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. You, can, you can go into something with having absolutely no expectations and kind of learn it from scratch on a, on, on a grand right. scale. Um, so that's kind right. of a neat thing to have been able to do. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, you know, and, and, you know, during the whole time before, during and even after, um, Elise and I went in with the expectations like we're we're very new at this. You know, I'm going to get her stuck. She's most likely going to get us lost. We did both of that. You know, as long as we, you know, are are flexible with each other, talk through issues, talk through any stresses we have, um, celebrate the victories, no matter how small they may be, if you're having a challenging day. And just do the best you can. And, you know, our end goal was to finish and finish strong. And no matter what that looked like, we didn't know. But, you know, hey, if we came in dead last, you know what? Just We're winners already just being there, just getting to the starting line, like a couple people said. You know, if you're having a really rough day, you're there. You're doing it. No matter in what capacity, if your vehicle goes to shit or any of those kinds of things or, you know, heaven forbid, if you've got any other um, issues, you know, you're in the middle of being able to do this. And that's already winning. So everything is just icing on the cake, you know, that that's happened additionally for it. That's awesome. Very cool. So 
if we get, I guess, specific, uh, were there skills that you needed to really develop to compete? Beyond, beyond the driving. Yeah, beyond the driving, yeah. Or, or how did yeah, you develop so skills on, for the event? On the navigation side especially, um, there's not um, really anything um, kind of like it. So basically, to kind of take you through what the navigation aspect looks like, um, you are given... Uh, a latitude and a longitude for a point that you then have to go find using only a map and compass. So um, you get a, a map and you get this list of latitudes and longitudes. So first you have to put them on the map. So you have to be able to convert those those numbers onto you know a spot on the map um, accurately. And then you have to also be able to kind of connect the dots between each of those points you're given to create um, a route plan for your day. Um, and then you have to actually go out there and and follow that plan or, you know, change it on the fly. And you have to use skills like um, like dead reckoning, where, you know, if you can't tackle um, a point head on, you have to then go at it from a different angle and kind of measure, well, okay, so we're going to go, you know, five kilometers at, um, you know, 270 degrees. Um, and then we're going to go back towards the point and another, another heading and another uh, distance to kind of get to that point accurately. We have to triangulate to find our position to make sure that we're in the right spot. So that involves taking a point in the distance um, and finding out what direction that's in from you and then um, kind of translating that onto the map. Um, so it's it's all quite a lot of you know traditional navigation that a lot of people don't really know anymore um, unless you've been in the military or you do you know a lot of um, sailing or something uh, where you would have to learn those skills. So those were all, even though I was familiar with um, you know, cartography and stuff. Um, those are things that I had to practice a lot because I don't actually do a whole lot of that um, in real life. So, well, and there was a lot of getting in and out of vehicles, right? You know, especially yeah. for her, because, you know, even though I helped take bearings and things like that, I wanted to make sure to be in at a moment's notice and be ready to go to drive. Um, but what we did, even though I was primarily driver and she was primarily navigator, I made sure to practice and to learn. And I had never even held a compass before this competition. I'm like, a compass? How the heck do you do this? And I knew it was magnetized. Like, it, you know, I had issues with like metal and stuff, but I knew nothing about compasses and or reading maps or, or any of that kind of thing. And, and so for me, I did a lot of training to understand the real good, like basic to intermediate skills that she is doing. So God forbid something happens to her if she's sick or, if, you know, she needs, you know, if, if her brain's fried or her eyes are fried and she's like, okay, I, you know, can you help me or can you, um, you know, confirm that what I'm trying to do is right and things like that, that I had the capacity to do that confidently. You know, I might be slower at it, but, you know, I wanted to make sure that I knew what the heck she was doing. So if we needed to get out in a pinch and I needed help, that I could do so. Yeah, yeah that's pretty wild. I Reading up on... Uh, doing research on this rally just so we could do this episode I, I didn't realize how in-depth that the navigation like how involved it was that it's very very old-fashioned like that is I mean that that is harkening back you know well before GPS was ever invented and that's yes. very that's very cool it's, uh, yeah. Very... yeah and it's it's to be super accurate to be that good at it it was very eye-opening um, realizing that this is how and we had you know better distance measuring tools than even that they mm -hmm. had because we had, you know, really nice odometers. Um, so I can't imagine, you know, navigating with, you know, maybe not great maps and trying to figure out exactly where you are using all these tools. It seems uh, very challenging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, people used to fly airplanes this way and yeah. sail ships yeah. across the world. Right. Like, uh. <laughs> It's I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, you know, and, and here we are going on the internet and ordering our maps through maptools.com and, and buying our plotter off of Amazon. And, you know, and I bought duplicate hedge. So one of, you know, one of the rulers, like the, the 100,000 scale goes flying out the window. I had another one and she had another one. And so, you know, we had duplicates and triplicates of everything just because we've heard from so many previous rebels that you're going to lose them in like the, the crick of your seat and you're never going to find it and you're going to lose your pencil and all this other stuff. So, yeah. yeah. That happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned you drove a Tacoma. 
Yep. Um, was this Tacoma a vehicle you guys personally owned? Uh, is it your own? Yeah. Is, it, is it your own vehicle? And what what class was that in? How how the vehicles so, classed? Yeah. So so the vehicle classes is basically there's the crossover, which is um, all wheel drive vehicles, yep. and then there's the four by four, which are vehicles with low range. Um, and there's also uh, designations for bone stocks. So those are vehicles that have not been modified except for the tires. Um, and then the 4030, which is vehicles that are over 40 years old, basically is kind of a, a nod to the 40 is the new 30. Um, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the Tacoma that we're driving, it's um, my husband and I, that's our, our vehicle that we uh, drive. Um, it's actually my husband's daily driver. And then we also have taken a, a number of long trips um, and off-roading expeditions. So it's uh, been pretty well built. Um, so it's a 2012. It's a manual transmission. Um, and it's the Access Cab six-foot bed. Um, we have it equipped with uh, quite a number of things. So we've got um, it lifted with the um, old manny new suspension, um, and we've got 33-inch uh, tires on it. And then um, we've got uh, ARB bumper on it. We've got a worn winch, um, Factor 55 flat link on the front. We have the Lightner uh, rack, which actually they help sponsor us as well. Um, on the in the bed um, that is really really nice for um, the the storage and kind of organization um, and then we have a CBI rear bumper with a rear chair, tire carrier um, and um, that allowed us to bring a bit of extra uh, recovery gear as well like our max tracks um, let's see what else is on there we have a snorkel it's it's pretty it's pretty top-notch well-built uh i don't know what else we would do to it so it's, <laughs> it's, it's set up well. beautifully yeah that's cool I've, I've seen pictures of it. it's a cool looking rig yeah that's a good setup nice reliable truck with a it yeah like it's beautiful to drive that thing is a beast yeah. man I'll, I'll tell you that's an awesome thing to drive yeah super capable a little more power than you're used to mercedes with the old diesel uh mitsubishi's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's power up high. The power band's completely different than the tur- than the turbo diesels that we have. So, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it was interesting um, driving a right-hand drive stick shift manual, you know, manual with the diesel and the dunes here because we practiced a lot, you know, and obviously I practiced a lot with driving with Andy and whatnot. And, and so having the low-end torque and the power and then, you know, going in the – getting in the truck and then having to shift with the opposite hand and a left-hand drive and having it be gasoline and having the power be, you know, with the revs way up high. So it was completely different. And obviously it's like three times the length or, you know, twice, at least twice the length of what yeah, the Badero is. a lot is. longer than the Badero, for sure. Yeah, yeah it, it's very different. <laughs> but it was fun nonetheless. It was great. That's super cool. Um, so when you're driving the rally, uh, how do you score? Do you score points and that's determines your position or do you need to get lower points so we're used to tsds where you want to score as close to zero as possible because that means you're on time so basically how do you better your position during the rally so So it's it's a most points wins um and you accumulate points by um finding checkpoints getting as close as possible to checkpoints so there's um and then also for the for the enduros, um, getting as close to the the exact time as possible. Um, so for the checkpoints, to kind of elaborate on that, so there's the green, blue, and black uh, difficulty levels, sort of like a ski ski run is is uh, ranked. And so the green checkpoints they're pre pre plotted on the map, um, so you just have to figure out which one's which. So that makes it a little bit simpler. Um, and then there are a huge green flag. So once you kind of, you can see it in the distance pretty well, um, you know, you're there once you, once you see it. Um, and then there's the blue checkpoints, which are not marked on the map. You have to plot them on the map. Um, and they're usually marked by either a smaller blue flag or a blue pole. That's really hard to see. Um, but again, once you reach it and you see that point, you know that you are at a checkpoint. Um, although sometimes you have to make sure that it's actually yours and not the other groups. <laughs> so if you're doing a good job of navigating, yeah, then you, I mean, it was fairly obvious most of the time where it was, you know, if you've only gone two kilometers and then on the map it said you should have been going eight kilometers to find it, you're like, okay, it's probably not ours. Um, 
but those, those so those ones were pretty straightforward as well um although sometimes kind of hard to find um with those poles and then the black checkpoints are not marked on the map and they're not marked on the ground either so basically they're a bullseye um where the the more accurate you are the closer you are to the center of that bullseye the more points you get so there is a on the uh, checkpoint guide that you get every morning it'll tell you so maximum of say eight points um, and then for every um, and that that'll be for a diameter of um, I think it was 50 meters usually and then every 50 meters or 25 meters outside of that bullseye it goes down by another point so um, it was sometimes worth it you know, to just try and get as close as possible, um, not worry too much about trying to get the full points if we were in a hurry. Um, but if we knew that we could get it, you know, then we'd be really taking our time um, to try and make sure we got to the, as close to the center of that bullseye as possible. So those black points are kind of really what make make or break, you know, in the, those top 10 um, who, who's placing where is, is really determined by those black checkpoints. And then for the Enduros, basically, um, each, um, during, you know, during instruction or every couple of instructions, there'd be like a timing point where there'd be someone sitting there with a timer. And the, so the closer you would get to the on time, um, the more points you'd get. So if it was a maximum of five points per timing spot, then if you were, you know, more than five seconds off, then you'd lose a point more than 10 seconds off, you lose two, two points, and so on and so forth until you get to so far off that you get zero points. <laughs> okay, so as far as the what you just called it, the um enduro portion that would be like the, the similar to a tsd style what mm -hmm. what kind of directions do they have for those are they like traditional tsd tulip style notes yes or, they are okay, yeah cool that's interesting and i guess my only other question is how do you prove that you are at the checkpoints they so have, we a, have tracker. a tracker yeah yeah okay so like a gps <laughs> tracker oh okay that's interesting. well there's two there's two different trackers so what's interesting is they have a tracker on your vehicle so um and and what's really cool is even though we don't we can't see it because we don't have any technology all the people that follow along with rebel rally and there's live tracking online can see all the teams and where they're going to and where the checkpoints are it's really really cool um so they have a vehicle tracker but then we have a handheld tracker and so elise and i would both like one of us would run out um and we literally you have to like push the up uh the up button for i think it was five seconds and it would count down then it would say sending and then once you have a little one at the bottom left of the corner, that note, that means that it went up to the satellite, it tracked it, it sent it, and it logged it. So, But they already know that you're there because the vehicle tracker shows that you're there, but you still have to track it. And then you have to write it down. They literally gave you paper and pencil for you to write down your coordinates, the time, and everything. So in case you needed to contest something or if there was an issue or, you know, heaven forbid something happened with the tracker or they lost the information, you had a paper copy. So the yeah. vehicle tracker shows where the vehicle is, so they know you're in yeah, the right yeah. spot, but you still have to log yeah. that you're there, so you know that you know you're in the right spot. So yeah. they know that you exactly. know you're in the right spot. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. it, it sounds like they're going down to the meters, yeah, how close cool. you actually get to this. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, right. you'd walk then, right up or you'd drive right up to the, the actual flag or pole itself, and like I would touch it all the time because, of course, I didn't want to be one foot away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no, I, 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 I understand that for yet. sure. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty cool. This is way deeper than I expected. Yeah. 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 That's the thing, too, is that um, you can't always drive right up to the point if there's other vehicles next to it yeah. or um, there. Honestly, yep. there were a few that we were, you know, we got as close as possible. And then it was a bit trickier driving than we really wanted to deal with. So I just hiked up um, to the point and then clicked the tracker up there. And so that's totally fine. The, the vehicle tracker is really more for the public to view and then also for dispatch to kind of see where you're at. Yeah, it's also um, whereas safety. that handheld. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the handheld tracker is really where you're saying, this is where I think the, the checkpoint is. Um, this is, you know, what I'm saying my answer is. And then they say, yep, you're right. Or, And then it'll tell you, actually, once you press the button, it'll tell you your, your coordinates just for yep. the last point that you, you logged. Um, so you can, you, if you're way off, you can actually then kind of get yourself back on course, um, which is nice. Um, or you can just, you know, be frustrated that uh, you can see right away basically that you didn't get it um, or that you got it so it's it's a bit of immediate feedback so it's like a hybrid well, like, oh good 
Yeah, no, I just was going to say with with the vehicle tracker, another thing that is um, worth mentioning is, you know, they, they will know exactly where you are. So, you know, if there's any medical issues, if there's any mechanical issues, if you're really, really lost, I mean, you do have a satellite phone as well. So you can call in the sat phone. You'll get penalized for it depending on what the issue may be. But they can also penalize you if you're going too fast or if you're, you know, having other issues or or call you if you may be driving into a bombing range or into a mili- <laughs> military base, which has happened, <laughs> which has yeah. happened multiple times. And so, you know, they'll they'll there's like a whole entire sheet long. I can't remember if it was um if it was letter size or legal size. It's like size like four font or two font. I mean, super, super small of all the different penalties. And a lot of it is based on driving or this or that or showing up late to, you know, to driver's meetings or all, you know, all of these different kinds of things. So it's it's really legit. It's, you know, it's meant to make sure to keep everybody safe and keep everybody on time and on schedule. That's cool. It's like a, it's like a hybrid, like overland trip slash TSD slash geocaching. Like there's a lot of yeah. cool elements to the whole yeah. thing. I like it a lot. So when yeah. you're, yeah. I guess my another question would be when you're finding the checkpoints, there is no time limit to that during the day you just try to find as many as you can without obviously going too fast so it depends on the day so some you have to look at every checkpoint has an open and closing time and so some for the most part they're fairly generous and actually we had some days where we um the closing time was the same for every single one so basically you have 10 and a half hours um, from when you leave your start line, um, find as many as you can. Um, there were other days, though, where there were some points that had very aggressive closing times. So you had to move very efficiently to be able to make those closing times. And what was interesting is with all of these checkpoints, um, like Elise had alluded to, greens are mandatory, blues and blacks are optional, but you have to get them all in order. So, for instance, you have 22 checkpoints in a day. There's no way, and Emily will say this, there's no way even the best top teams will not be able to get all the checkpoints all in one day, but you have to get all of the green checkpoints. So a lot of it was strategy and time management, which was brand new to both of us, mainly me. You know, I learned a lot of what to do, what not to do with the time management because, you know, it, it, it helps you to plot as much as you can, then spend a couple of vital minutes together to look at the map to go, okay, which ones should we throw out? Mind you, we have to get all the greens, but what blues and blacks can we throw out and get the greens, go here, go there, or do we want to you know, do this in the morning or do you want to throw away something in the afternoon? Or you know, So a lot of it was strategy um, to be able to do that. Mind you, you have to pay attention to A, the order, B, the open and closing times, and C, making sure you get back before your deadline because base camp every night was the last checkpoint and you had to make sure to go there before your closing time there. Interesting. So between all these checkpoints on your maps, is it obviously you're off road? Is there marked trails, marked roads, like fire roads? Is there stuff you can use or is it pretty much in an area where you could choose the path of least resistance if you wanted to or... (laughs) I mean, it's totally up to you, right? You don't want to get your truck stuck either, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, for the most part, they were open trails and tracks and roads, a lot of washes. I can't even tell you how many dozens and dozens of washes, like dried riverbeds that we drove through that was a way to be able to get you to where you needed to go. Oh, yeah. um, Especially in Johnson Valley. <laughs> oh, my God, it was all over the place. It was pretty crazy. Um, but the one thing, too, is they'll penalize you if you go over um, and they'll see you do this via the tracker if you go over a lot of vegetation. So you have to be very cognizant and make sure that it is a designated track or wash or opening or obviously sand dunes is a, d- a different animal. The sand dunes, you can go anywhere. It just don't fall into a witch's eye, you know, or, or drive off, a, you know, a huge uh, uh, slip face or something. But that being said, everything else is pretty regulated. But, of course, the terrain was very different and challenging or easy or, you know, it, it varied quite a bit as far as the difficulty. See. So you- I, I have one quick thing. So we don't have sand dunes to play in. What is a witch's eye? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, witch's eye, I didn't even, you know, what's funny is we, we have them in Oregon, and I didn't even know what a witch's eye was because we really don't have them here. Um, so witch's eye is basically when there's like a big depression in these um, in the sand dunes. It kind of goes in and goes all the way deep uh, deep in, and you could get pretty well stuck in, in uh, at least correct me if I'm wrong, if they're always firm ground or if they could be really loose uh, sand. No. 
it doesn't it doesn't yeah either or basically it's it's instead of being like a taco shape where you could basically go out on one side um they're you know like cone shaped or bowl shaped where um if you're kind of stuck at the bottom um you have to go up to get out and when you have to go up to get out it's really really a lot more difficult than if you can just kind of yeah. go flat or go down so well looks- and they vary in size you know you can have yeah. very small ones or they could be absolutely massive and you can't get a running start because if there's a really deep small one i mean or you there's pretty a tree much in it out. yeah or if yeah. there's a tree in it or something you're kind of you know i don't want to say screwed but screwed so you know, we, we end up bringing um, a pole pal. We have the one winch. So pole pal was one of our sponsors. One was as well. But, you know, it, we, we did that plus max tracks. And, you know, thankfully, the only thing we had to use that got her stuck twice or got us stuck twice. Um, but we were able to max tracks out. But we wanted to make sure to be prepared should we end in, you know, end up in a witch's eye because, you know, Elise, you know, the closest dunes that are by Elise are St. Anthony dunes, um, which are a little bit more of what Glamis is like. But here in Oregon, you know, you've got Central Oregon um, uh, dunes that are in Christmas Valley that I've been to. And then the rest is all coastal, which is a completely different animal than the sand dunes in Glamis. So so a witch's eye be like almost looked like a drain of sand, like where it would spool down kind of if you describe what it looked like. Like, like, yeah. a, like an ice cream cone yeah. or something? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah totally. it's like the flat bottom end, um, and it can be really, really deep. And it usually they're kind of more roundish, and then you just have hills on all sides. Yeah. And, yeah, now don't that, get in them. Now <laughs> that you're describing it, I've seen it during Dakar coverage, and the, those giant Aveco trucks, like, get stuck in it, and they're pulling each other out of them right. and right, all kinds yeah, of stuff right, like that. Exactly. So you that's had, what they're called. Right? Yeah. At least that's what they call them over yeah. here. So you had recovery gear, um, but... Are teams allowed to help each other if they're stuck? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's encouraged that if um, so, we we had to bring um, glow sticks, we had to bring orange triangles, and they also said to take your max tracks if you have extras. Let's say if you're really stuck, but you're in a witch's eye, or if you're at the bottom of a really big sand dune and you're worried because I mean all the sand dunes are open. You could have you know a side by side coming barreling over and like land completely on top of you. So. You know, the other thing we said is if you have extra max tracks, go hike up to the top of the biggest dune and put it up in a teepee, like, you know, put them up together so that it draws attention like, hey, there's somebody down here. Um, But you're encouraged, you know, whenever we see somebody stop, you know, we're encouraged to just be like, roll down window, hey, okay, or thumbs up, okay, if they're thumbs up, great. If they have hazards on, hey, do you need help? And we're encouraged to stop. And that's part of the camaraderie and the community that the rebels have is, you know, there have been a lot of people, especially Glamis, digging each other out. I mean, heck, we did it and we had it happen. And, you know, almost everybody got stuck with money, I understand, at Glamis. But that's what we're there for. That's awesome. So you, you alluded to your, your base camp having to be there on time every night. Um, what what was base camp? Was it a camping situation? Were there hotels? Was it where did you stay in, in between days? So it was a huge wall tent. Um, usually. And um, then we would all uh, basically have our tents in a little little tent town um, right beside this huge wall tent. Um, and so the first night, the first base camp that we had was uh, Kingston Canyon um, at a kind of a venue. So there was like a little cabin also um, where they had food laid out and um, we had our morning meeting there. Yeah. Um, but we also had a, yeah, we also had a big tent shelter and then we did camp in our tents there and then after that it was just a a massive wall tent um with tables and chairs so it was very and very well decorated actually so and there were always snacks and water and um there were bathrooms um they had a like a shower and toilet trailer and then they had some porta potties as well so um you know, there weren't enough showers to be able to take one every night, but it was actually extremely comfortable for a camping situation, um, even though we were, in fact, you know, self-camping, camping in our own tents. So I assume it was... Well, a, we have to give... It was, it oh, was, go ahead. Okay, okay. it was a, a different location every night, or the base camp was the same location every night? Almost every night. Um, so there, I think there were two or three nights where we had two nights at the same base camp. Okay. Um, you know, mind you, we ended up having to go from the north end of Lake Tahoe, mainly off road, all the way down close to the Mexican border. So we had almost oh. sixteen hundred miles we had to traverse. Okay. You know, in a matter of eight days, seven days were actually you know pointed day, like counted days for points. Um, but then day zero, day zero was the actual practice day, but that was still kind of involved in getting it to where we needed to go. And I guess the last yeah. question related to that is. Did 
you guys, were you responsible for setting up your own tents, or did you have teams that went ahead and got you all set up for the night? Did you have to drive all day and then build camp, or was there a... No, we did all of our own, um, and, and we have to give a huge shout-out to Shift Pods. Um, so Shift Pods is a husband and wife team, and they've got some really, really cool tents. Um, and so they were one of our sponsors and set us up with cots and tents, and they set up in a matter of like a minute and a half. So we had their little Shift Pod mini version. But what was interesting is when we came into base camp at night, mind you, we had to click the tracker right when we were you know, going underneath the arches. We had one hour. What that one hour entailed was Elise literally jumping out, grabbing the stuff she needs, her gear, the camping gear if we needed to set up camp that night, and I would then attend to the vehicle. So we had um, a, a fuel station from Amber Fuel Services. Uh, Busby was awesome and his team, and so I had to get uh, gas every night. And we um, then I went through and I checked everything, checked the air filters, checked the oil levels, checked all the fluids, um, just, you know, went underneath the vehicle, made sure that there wasn't anything leaking, um, and then grabbed everything that we needed to um, for that evening. So uh, we learned very quickly, don't leave important things in the vehicle overnight, because after that one hour is up, they take your keys and they quarantine the vehicle. And that's basically to stop somebody to say, oh, I really need to fix this or I really want to do this or, God forbid, sabotage somebody else's vehicle. So um, I learned very quickly what not to do because for whatever stupid reason, almost every night I left something critical in the truck that I needed. One day it was my pillow. The second day was my headlamp, which I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I have no headlamp and it's dark and where, how am I going to go to the bathroom? And um, you know, the third day I had my sunglasses on, didn't realize, you know, with all the hubbub and grabbing everything, I forgot my, to put my regular glasses on and I'm oh. blind without them. And I'm like, Oh crap, I've got my sunglasses on and sun is setting. Thank God. on my little runner backpack that I have to go back and forth. My tent in the truck, I had my spare set of eyeglasses. So, you know, and then I think one day, at least didn't you leave most of your rulers in there? So the next morning you have to wait. You couldn't I pot did. You live and you learn certain things. And, and for me, it was just whatever reason, I just couldn't get the assemblance for me to be able to just pack right and be like, all right, the critical stuff I need. And then boom, the hour is up and then you're done. <laughs> well, yeah, at the end of the day, you're probably like, you know, you're still kind of like amped up with adrenaline. You're tired too. Oh, yeah. And you just can't totally. quite think straight, right? You, I mean, how long were these days? Like twelve hours? Is that twelve, actually, 12 plus? Yeah. Twelve plus. Wow. So yeah, I mean, wake up at five. Time. Yep. Yeah, wake up at five, plot for two hours, drive through ten, ten and a half hours, um, get ourselves set up at the end of the day for about an hour, hour and a half, um, and so that's yeah, that's those are long days. Yes, thirteen, fourteen hours. Yeah, by the time you eat dinner, and then then a lot of the times we had meetings at the end of the day, so that were mandatory. So, um, you know, we had half an hour, hour long meetings, and then by the time you know eight o'clock rolls around, you, you start you you start seeing it spin out very quickly because <laughs> people are like, <laughs> they want to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, it's a heck of a vacation. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, what kind of, were you allowed any outside support at all, or is it all, all has to be self-contained? It's all self-contained. Um, you, well, you have, so you have support, not outside support, but you have support. You could call on your stat phone. Let's say if you're out and you have a medical or a mechanical issue, you can call your stat phone and have them. But if they come out, you again are penalized potentially for it. So, you know, let's say if there's a mechanics issue and you can't get your rig fixed and you need a tow or you need somebody to come out, which has happened, um, you know, that could be a penalty. Um, if there's a medical issue, I don't think there was any major medical issue remotely this year, um, but that could be another penalty thing. So there is support, but it's all inclusive. And during the transit days where we had an actual gas station that we could fill up with, excuse me, or grab snacks at or something, they're designated. So you cannot deviate. If you deviate, let's say go to, you know, I don't know, McDonald's and grab something for food or, or this or that or go to a different gas station, you're heavily penalized because these places are already approved and you cannot be hopping on the Internet and you cannot be doing this or that or grabbing whatever, you know, the gas station person's phone or something and making a call. I mean, that that's like, you know, grounds for disqualification. I really want to uh, keep it analog, <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. 
Our ethos. Very much so. Yeah, you had to. You had your own quarantine packages. Like I had a, an old banker's bag, like a little I don't know nine by twelve or something bag. Um, when I did uh, commercial design for one of the banks down in California, and they were just you know dissolving a building, and then they are like, hey, you know, I had all of these bags, and and I thought, well, God, can we have one if they're just going to throw them away? So that ended up being my bag for my cell phone, but that was the only thing of technology I had. Um, I had my old school Canon T2i camera, which had no GPS, had no Wi-Fi. I bought a used lens off a camera shop because you can't have anything greater than a 200 zoom. So that they looked at, they said that was okay. So, cause a zoom could be used as binoculars potentially for checkpoints. So, um, Elise had one too. They, they were a little iffy on that, Elise, but I think yours had the capability to be upgraded with GPS, but yours did not. Yeah, you can add a a unit, you can add like a little chip to it or something and right so um, they were almost not going to let her do it yeah they were almost not going <laughs> to let her have her her camera and she's like but it has nothing and you know at that time yeah, you can't we turn the gps on you literally just it's yeah. grayed out yeah so it was <laughs> and so with her phone and her stuff she had a box that she bought and they literally taped mm-hmm. it up with um with packaging tape and then like do not open tape that was like right white and red and I mean you had to show that almost every day and they they because mine was a banker's bag they zip tied it shut <laughs> so they're very serious about you not getting in your phone it sounds it mm-hmm. well no and then otherwise I mean it's not like it's not in the spirit of the event to mm-hmm. to do it right. unless it's an absolute emergency obviously you know right you want... yeah in which case that yeah then you're not concerned about Losing yeah. points or concerned exactly. about getting out safely. Yeah, safety. Right, exactly. Very cool. Um, so what was your finishing position? So um, I'm sorry, the, the uh, position that we um, finished with for the rally? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we did, we did really well. So there were rookie teams, um, in the four by four class, and then there were returning Robels in the four by four class. So Elise and I tied for seventh place out of 21 rookie teams. So we placed within the top third. Awesome. And yeah, which, which we're super stoked with. Um, and then as far as the four by four overall, so including a lot of the returning rebels, we placed mid pack. And I think there were 12 or 13 returning rebels that were in front of us. But, of course, they've done it before. They're more seasoned. They've done competitions before. And a lot of them have done other different off-road competitions in addition to at least one previous rebel. Um, so, yeah. So that was that was pretty good for us. I was pretty happy. Yeah, just just it sounds like just finishing is a victory in itself. And actually be, being mid-pack or top third in the, in the, in the rookie class is pretty good. I'm, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, considering that, that neither of us have really driven much, um, but, you know, off-road ourselves beforehand and are brand new to off-road competition, I'd say we did a bang out job. So we can't, I can't complain. Yeah. Awesome. Um, we, we may have covered this a little bit before, but was there any new skills or, or confidence that either of you took away from the event? I will say, so I felt like I'd gotten a pretty good grasp on the fundamental skills needed to complete the rebel before showing up. Um, but it's a whole other animal putting them all together um, and doing that, you know, for those, you know, 14 hour days for eight days straight uh, when you're tired and you're, you know, you're frustrated and, um, you know, things happen along the way. So that was really really eye-opening and um it's something you just don't you can't really learn it until you do it right and so um i think emily uh you know in all her wisdom has um kind of said said this and i i really believe it you know that if if you want to win it's it's a three-year plan first you know you have to learn how to finish so for us this year was learning how how do we get to the to the finish line how do we play the game you know um what is this all about how do we put everything together and then the second year um is is um okay now i you know i know how to how to get to the finish line now i'm going to you know try i'm going to you know play to win i'm going to compete to win um but you know with the expectation that you're you're going to push yourself you're going to challenge yourself but you're still going to have a lot to learn and kind of finessing all of those skills and then year three is really where it's kind of the uh um, where you really have the chance uh, to to win, you know, if you're if you're 
really, you know, doing everything, everything right. Yeah. And for me, I think the biggest takeaway was um, since I'm very varied with uh, four by fours and driving four by fours now, um, giving me the confidence that I can hop in a different vehicle and understand, you know, in a very short amount of time, how it reacts and take those principles that I know so well off road and be able to apply to whatever vehicle I drive. Excellent. So this obviously sounds like you guys are planning on doing the rally again. Heck yeah. All right. That's awesome. <laughs> Sweet. You need to figure out how to figure out the cash bit of it. <laughs> so that, that, that's another question I have for you, not specifically the cash bit of it, but if somebody wanted to get involved in this, in this event, how do they go about it? Is there an application process? Is it limited? Um, what, what's required to, to participate in the event? There's, so there's a limited number of teams that can compete, um, but it's really just, it's open to everybody. Um, so the only real requirements um, signing up is that by the time of the competition, you you show that you've, um, you either have offering experience or you've completed an introductory class. And that can be either a class that's put on by um, folks at the Rebel or kind of approved instructors, or it can be something that is in your community that's held by a club or something. Um, just as long as you can kind of have someone vouching saying, yeah, they, they know how to use their vehicle, um, you know, at least at a basic level uh, for off-road driving and, and they need for to be, recovery equipment. And they also need to be a woman, um, as we've discussed before, yep. but they also <laughs> need, to, need to have um, a, either a crossover or also, um, if not a crossover, then a 4x4. Mm -hmm. Whether it's rented, like Nina Barlow has rented um, several JLs this year to competitors, owned or borrowed or sponsored. Yeah. Okay, and as far as sponsors, really, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. I was say, but really to to sign up to get your team numbers um i mean there's really no no requirement you can you can get all of those things kind of along the way so you mentioned the cash flow i know it costs you know a, a good bit of money to enter the event it does. um is yep. it are you allowed to have 100 percent sponsorship does it need to be paid for by you is it is there any rules as far as raising the money to compete in the event it all nope. goes no, there's as long as it's legal. combinations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. As long as it's legal. <laughs> as long as it's legal or presented, right. or presented as such, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you can have, you know, you can be a trust fund kid. You can, you know, you can uh, take a loan out. You can get sponsors. You can take it from your savings. There have been people that have uh, become Lyft drivers that I that I understand <laughs> that have done it part time and raised money that way throughout the year. Um, you know, host parties for fundraising. Um, we did a GoFundMe, and we're doing a couple of after parties for our, for us for our team um but you know there's a whole host of things bake sales um all sorts of different things and and they'll help you along the way with that too so um you know as far as us people are you know we're more than happy to talk to people so you can contact us and and you know we can go from there and answer any questions that anybody might have if they're interested in joining and and i think along with that is are you open to new sponsors if somebody listening wanted to sponsor you guys next year could they contact you and do that yeah for sure yeah, yeah excellent for sure and it's, it's, as far as us, um, we want to make sure that it's not just, hey, give me money and this is all it is. Um, we're very, very cognizant and sensitive to what their needs may be. And so we've written up um, different varying uh, levels of sponsorship, and we're open to customizing anything. So whether it's content generation they want or social media posts or photography or all of the above or, you know, um, just, hey, you know, if you're at this event, talk about us or, you know, all different kinds of things. So we're open to that, and especially with me being full-time freelance, along with uh, Elise being in the off-road industry, you know, we're already embedded in a lot of this. So, yeah, we're, we're totally game to help uh, whoever with whatever they want to get out of it being a sponsor of us kind of a you help me and i help you deal exactly and i will say the the caliber of photographer that attends these events um is really really incredible um we've had some amazing photos and um, one of the things that we offer our sponsors is exclusive commercial rights um to a uh, selection of photos depending on how much they're donating excellent that's awesome so I guess that'll take us right into before we wrap up is do you have current sponsors that you'd like to plug and anyone you'd like to thank? And of course, yeah. uh, any anywhere that you would like our listeners to follow you on social media? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we have a, a list of sponsors. So, um, of course, Bomber Products for supplying the vehicle, um, Crankshaft Culture for media coverage, photography, um, publications, and also donating the helmets. 
Um, Shift Pods, is, if, uh, as we've mentioned before, they're one of our premier sponsors with, um, with the cots and with the awesome tents that we had. Um, Tommy's Tinting, Tommy's Window Tinting, uh, based in Portland, Oregon, or just outside of Portland, uh, did an awesome job uh, designing and doing the, the uh, wrap and also the window tinting for us. Lightner, as uh, Elise had alluded to, they're the uh, truck bed and uh, rack company. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Overland Cruisers uh, out of my Montana, out of Bozeman. They're the awesome guys and mechanics that made sure um, they replaced the clutch, timing belt, water pump. Um, just did a tip and tail, uh, really, really awesome job of making sure the vehicle was ready to go for the rally. Um, pull pal in regards to land anchors and support for us um, to make sure that we're unstuck if we get stuck. Um, especially if we, you know, have no tree or anything to be able to winch ourselves out with. Um, Max Tracks is another sponsor too with Max Tracks Recovery Boards. Um, Tribe One Outdoors, uh, they are a Utah-based company that has really awesome um, cargo and bungee cords and kind of uh, netting containment systems to keep your gear all in one spot. Um, uh, Drink Tanks is another one as well. So Drink Tanks is really cool. They have growlers and pint glasses um, that are double-walled stainless steel, and they actually gave us a bunch of products um, that is uh, emblematized with our Team Free Range Dames logo that we're selling on our website, uh, www.teamfreerangedames.com. So if you wanted to get some swag like T-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, or um, a growler or a couple of pint glasses, come on over to that website. Um, and then also Warren Industries, uh let's see yeah one industries and then mac designs um she was the gal that uh did our awesome logo great i don't think we talked about your team name i love your team name by the way which is uh yeah free range (laughs) dames so um yeah is there anywhere we can find you on social media yes so we have a website it's uh www.teamfreerangedames.com and then we are on Facebook and Instagram as Team Free Range Dames. Uh, we also, on our GoFundMe, it's uh, gofundme.com slash Team Free Range Dames. Um, and our email address is, if you want to get a hold of either one of us, it's either Mercedes or Elise at teamfreerangedames.com. So all pretty, pretty straightforward. Great. And we also have a YouTube channel with um, Pickup Truck and SUV Talk, too. That's a dedicated oh, that's playlist. Cool. Um, that I wanted to give a shout out to Tim Estradal. Um, so he's been covering us. We've done four episodes on YouTube, which is video um, on us. And then also I wanted to give a shout out to all the countless family and friends and supporters that we've had along the way. With the sponsors and especially our family and friends and supporters, we wouldn't be able to be here and to have done this without their help. That's great. Um, man, that was great hearing about that. Um Thank you for coming on to the both of you, and uh, congratulations on your finish of the Rebel Rally. I mean, it's that's like a big deal to just finish uh, an event like that. You know, we had some friends that over the summer they uh, had bought a rally car at the beginning of the year, and then they competed in their first uh, stage rally and finished it. You know, same kind of thing. It was just like it was all about just showing up and making sure you finish, and that was the the biggest thing just getting out and doing things awesome. yeah yeah just getting out and doing things awesome. is amazing and it's an it, it, inspiration to everybody who's listening that wants to do stuff like this like if you see something that you want to do i mean dig out and make it happen yes yeah, just go do it you only live once you know yep. that's what they say so. yeah yeah you guys nailed it right on the head i mean for us like i said you know i i decided to give up my desk job my corporate desk job and, and do this full-time as far as full-time freelance but as far as driving myself you know off-road I knew a lot of the principles, but heck, I've never done it before. And, you know, literally practicing. And I, like I said before, never held a compass compass before. How the hell do you use this thing? I don't even know. Well, how do you even hold it? I had no, I seriously had no clue. And for us to get that far along in about six months of time, you know, everybody starts from somewhere. I keep, I keep kind of coming back to that. Everybody starts from somewhere. And, you know, we're more than happy to help anybody if they're interested or if they don't want to do something as massive as Rebel and they just want to get into off-roading. You know, heck, contact us. We're more than happy to help or just talk to you or, or tell you what works, what doesn't work for us. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'm going to post some of these links in the show notes. For sure. And uh, I think that's a podcast. I'm going to wrap it up here. Yeah, so guys, hang on one awesome. second. We're going to close up our end here. Yep. And uh, So as always, you can follow Auto Off Topic on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Auto Off Topic. Follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. And Brad, where can you they can find, find you? You can find me on Instagram at the much-needed-to-be-changed handle at TSISS350. As always, 
Keep your cards analog and aim for the roses.